Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01 and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Well, what a joy to be back with you here at Christ Church and uh, the privilege of this Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, to be the one who brings the preaching of the Word. Let's bow our heads and pray together and talk to the Lord and ask for His help. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us. And as we gather across the face of this city and maybe further parts of the world, we pray that your Holy Spirit would take my lips and speak through them, take our minds and think through them, take our wills and bend them to your own, and take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we are going to be continuing the saga of Joseph in Egypt. But let me say just first off, because we will come back to it during the sermon, how grateful I am as an Englishman for the Americans who came and gave their lives to rescue us from Nazi Germany. It was only just a little over two weeks ago that we were celebrating the 75th anniversary of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. I remember that day. I was a lad on my way to school with my brother Tony. We went around the corner. We had about a quarter of a mile to walk to school. And uh, it was known as the Donington School. And when we got there, there was a teacher who said, there is no school today because the war is ended and we are now free. No school. Well, we went back home, my brother and Tony and I, absolutely exultant. No school. And when we got home, we said to my mother, Mom, because uh, she was looking at us saying, what are you doing here? We said, there's no school today. It's victory in Europe. The war is over. And she said, don't you come here with those stories. You get back down to that school immediately. Of course, that was very amusing looking back on it, even at the time. My mother had to go and check with the neighbors, check with the news, which was over the radio, that indeed the war was over. And the exultation in England was spectacular. We had bonfires in the streets, street parties, red, white, and blue bunting and flags. It was a spectacular time. And I remember it all vividly. And I also remember the American servicemen on the streets I remember the flanks of bombers going over night after night. I remember sleeping in an air raid shelter and the buzz bombs coming and falling on us. Those were amazing, remarkable, amazing days. And here's the deal for me in telling you, thank you, because outside of your coming for us and our aid, and the thousands of Americans who gave their lives in that war, 
All I can say is how grateful we in Great Britain were and still are. Thank you, America. Now, having said that, coming back to the saga of Joseph, and there is some overlap here, and you'll recognize that as we get to it. This series of stories, accounts, historical narrative concerning Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, arriving in Egypt sold as a slave, and ascending to become the number two man in Egypt next to the king called Pharaoh. And he had complete domination over the country. It was as if he were Pharaoh number two. He had chariots and those who ran ahead saying, make way, make way. He had complete authority from Pharaoh to act as if he were the Pharaoh. And as we come into this part of the story, there has been a famine. Seven years of plenty and then seven years of want. And the seven years of plenty, he, Joseph, had stored up tons and tons of grain, knowing that seven years of famine were going to be coming. That famine was not just in Egypt. It was throughout the whole of the Middle East. And by the way, just to place this in a context, we're in about the middle 1800s BC. Just to give you a frame in history, the Civil War here in the USA was in the middle 1800s AD, after Christ. So you've got some kind of perspective. And in the middle 1800s BC was when this all was taking place. So they had seven fabulous fruitful years, gathered grain and kept them in large uh, barns. So in the years of famine, Egypt was an amazing resource. And because of the trade route that came down through Canaan into Egypt, the very trade route on which Joseph had been sold by his brothers into slavery. Jacob, who later became known as Israel, sent ten of his sons down to Egypt to get food. And that was the story that was told last week and brilliantly by our pastor, Craig Giergo, because what happened was their guilt was stirred. Something unbelievable because of the circumstances of that first trip. And in fact, in order to get home, they left Simeon behind in custody, in jail, and made their way back. We're talking about a 250 to 300 mile journey. No small trip from Canaan down to Egypt and that same distance back again. Well, not too far along the road, that food ran out. And we're in the middle of a seven-year famine. So Jacob sends them back again. But Joseph had heard that there was another son, the youngest son, Benjamin. And he wanted Benjamin to be brought back on this second trip. Otherwise, he said, don't even bother coming. 
So long story short, they bring Benjamin back and Benjamin ends up being kept in custody while they all go back to bring their dad, Jacob, to Egypt to join them in that now very uh, wealthy, food-rich land. The question is, in all the shenanigans that went with that, their sacks being filled with food, their money being put back in the sacks, the special cup from which Joseph drank in the sack of Benjamin, and thereby they're all being taken back, back into custody, and Benjamin being held. And the story of how heartbroken Jacob would be. It, it, what's going on in all this? What is, would you suppose, Joseph really up to in all these comings and goings? filling their sacks with grain and then with money and then with this special chalice on this second trip. I would say the bottom line is this, that Joseph was negotiating via these actions to get the whole of his family down into Egypt. And that's exactly what happened. They all came and lived there and multiplied exceedingly became very, very populous to the point that they were threatening the king of Egypt, a new king, and the people of Egypt. But the point at this juncture is this, and this is part of God's amazing plan, to get the whole of the children of Jacob, now called the children of Israel, with their families down into Egypt. Because what that all leads to, and this is the extraordinary thing, those simple decisions because of a famine that brought the children of Israel down into Egypt, where they multiplied exceedingly and became a threat to the nation, became the means by which God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and began to forge a nation. Because it was in that scenario that, and that scene, that Moses was born, grew up, became a leader, went through his particular saga in life, and led the children of Israel out of Egypt, back into the land of promise, Canaan, and thereby divided Canaan up now Israel, to the 12 tribes, the 12 sons. And that became what we now call the Holy Land, <clears throat> the land of promise, the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, and the children of Israel with their tens of thousands into millions who made that trek back from Egypt in the Exodus. The book of Exodus begins with the story that we have been continuing here. Listen to these words. This is, a, this is the way Exodus begins. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, 
that is Israel, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation, this is how Exodus continues, died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter and harsh, lay in harsh labor, in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And that set the stage for Moses and the Exodus. But how interesting that the book of Exodus begins with this saga of Jacob and his children, 12 sons, ending up with all their families and growing exponentially in Egypt and becoming a threat to the nation. By the way, I should mention this. It's being advertised on the radio currently that there is a, uh, a study in Exodus and the dating of Exodus and the reality of Exodus, and it's called Patterns of Evidence. And Eric Metaxas and Anne Ruth Graham and others are going to discuss this program as you have finished watching it. It'll be a great home study or a personal study for you. Patterns of evidence. I would encourage you to go online and find that. You can get that broadcast to you online. But the Exodus was real, and the stage was set for it when Joseph became the leader in Egypt, brought his family down, and they became exceedingly fruitful and took over the land. And that all set the stage in the forging of a nation with the exodus, their 40 years in the wilderness, and then entering into the promised land. And fascinatingly to me, it all began with their selling Joseph 
into slavery because of their jealousy. So the byproduct of all this drama is the establishment of Israel and their entering into the promised land. It is all one amazing drama which God was orchestrating. Now let me spring from that saga, that drama, to the Second World War, which this weekend I am saying to you all thank you for coming to our aid in Europe. Here is what happened. Just as the post-Egyptian years led to the exodus and the entrance into the Promised Land, part of God's amazing, amazing direction, enthusiastic support and backing through all the ups and downs and tragedies and pain and sin of it all, giving the promised land to the children of Israel. So with the Second World War, there is quite an amazing thing that happened post-World War II. In history, the huge drama is this, that Great Britain, which had the British Empire, and in effect had properties all around the world, countries and governors and various uh, leaders doing service to Great Britain. That all ended post-World War II. And the ascending nation that became the nation of the world and still is today, the United States of America. And those post-World War II days in America became boom years. So when you get into the 50s, you've got exponential growth here in the USA in all directions and especially with Christian ministry. During the 50s, late 40s and into the 50s, let me list for you the ministries that grew here in the USA. Number one, World Vision, which is still a powerful philanthropic mission to the world wherever there is need and famine and disaster. Similarly, Samaritan's Purse. Both of these were started by a man called, named Bob Pierce. World Vision and Samaritan's Purse. It was in the 50s that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association began a ministry which became worldwide. It was through that ministry that I, John Guest, became a Christian. During that same period of time, a man by the name of Bill Bright in Southern California, with a heart for evangelism, started Campus Crusade for Christ, which today is still a vast student ministry known as Crew. Two subsequent ministries that came along with Campus Crusade for Christ are, one is executive ministries, that is a ministry to leaders, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, and the Jesus film, which today is in exponentially, uh, I think that would be the word, 
different languages of the world and is a phenomenal evangelistic tool, especially in uh, the Arab countries, the Muslim countries. Amazing things are happening through that movie. Others that grew significantly, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I did immense work with them during the student years that I was ministering with a rock and roll band. And Young Life, which is still spectacular today, growing with camps and outreach to young people. Similarly, Youth for Christ. Interestingly, Billy Graham was their first full-time evangelist, and he moved on from Youth for Christ to start the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Then Navigators, another student ministry, which majored in follow-up of Christians, the development of new Christians, and it was to Navigators that the Billy Graham Association looked for all their follow-up materials and how to follow up somebody who came to Christ. I got into those materials as a new believer in London, England, back in 1954. All those ministries came out of the explosion of economic success and entrepreneurial leadership in the USA in post-World War II. And let me just mention one thing going back to executive ministries because that really touches our lives here today in Pittsburgh and here at Christ Church at Grove Farm. A man by the name of Bob Scheidemantel gave his life to Christ in New York City at a banquet where the gospel was presented to business leaders and executives. That was Bob Scheidemantel in New York City gave his life to Christ along with his wife, Peep. They moved to Pittsburgh. They end up living in Pittsburgh and getting associated with Urban Impact and Pastor Ed Glover. And about that time, Pastor Glover fell very, very ill. He was unable to work for about a year. And Bob Scheidemantel, who had been volunteering with them, gave full-time volunteer leadership for a year to hold the Urban Impact Foundation ministry together on the north side of Pittsburgh. Ed recovered, assumed leadership, and about that time, Bob Scheidemantel started worshipping with us here at Christ Church. And he said to me one day, there's a man I want you to meet and can we have lunch together? And so, within a week or two, I met Pastor Ed Glover and learned about the work of the Urban Impact Foundation on the north side of Pittsburgh. Now, you know, we here at Christ Church are part of a larger vision that Pittsburgh might become as famous for God as it was for steel. So we're not just playing church here on a street corner, but have a vision to reach the whole of the city. And in that, we teamed up with Pastor Ed Glover and Urban Impact, and the results of that are spectacular. From that small seed of ministry, with just Pastor Ed and his wife moving in onto the north side, they now have, just for instance, a budget that exceeds $4 million a year, and have become a national training center for other 
urban centers and ministries. Where did that all begin? With executive ministries, with Bill Bright founding Campus Crusade, developing that work to executives, Bob Scheidemantel getting converted, coming to Pittsburgh, getting associated with Pastor Ed Glover, and then with us at Christ Church, and now we are partner ministry, partners in ministry, heavily committed to that work together. Isn't it amazing? All going back to the 1950s, post-World War II USA. Let me give you one other instance that has affected us here at Christ Church. We have a man in our congregation and his wife, Graham and Eileen Hodgetts. Graham, as a lad, gave his life to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in London. Later, came to the USA as an engineer, got involved in work that brought him to Pittsburgh, ends up becoming a part of Christ Church, along with his wife, and they one day spoke to me about a bishop from Uganda who had come to train at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, a bishop who had asked them to come to Uganda in Africa, East Africa, and help with the ministry there. Well, we said to each other, let's go take a look at that. And that led to Encounter Uganda, and now we're running into something like 15 to 20 years of ministry from this church in Uganda. You just saw on the screen last week, uh, as you were part of our worship service, the last trip to Uganda. I would say close to 500 people from Christ Church or around Pittsburgh have gone into that work. Two hospitals have been built one named after one of our members here, the Aza Hospital. Chris Aza, one of our, and Amy, one of our church families. But they put enough money to start a hospital. And another one has been built for maternity. Two schools have been started and developed in an extraordinary way. A teaching center in Uganda for high-tech uh, training, computer use, all because of Graham Hodgetts getting converted at a Billy Graham crusade and part of that exponential explosion and initiative coming out of post-World War II USA. It's amazing the overlap and the... Why am I talking about this? Well, it is Memorial Day weekend. I have thanked you, America, for coming to our aid. But just as the exodus and the foundation of Israel in the Promised Land came out of Jacob going to Egypt with the whole of their family, under the leadership, really, of Joseph, with the executive position he held in Egypt, that, that whole drama of the foundation of Israel is connected to the Egyptian story, so... Even what's going on now in Pittsburgh and around the world is connected to the extraordinary influence of the USA post-World War II. And here we are in this now pandemic 
circumstance. I trust that you, like our family, are able to take advantage of a different way of life for now. So we are pretty much housebound. We watch and worship with you all on the screen at home. And amazingly, for instance, on Sunday morning for us, we watch three services. This service, one that takes place in England, in Cambridge, and another one that takes place on Paulus Island, where Stu Bamig is now preaching, who's a Pittsburgh influence, and a lad who was converted here through young life, went into the ministry, and has become an Anglican priest. An extraordinary sequence of connectedness to a post-American greatness. And here we are now in a pandemic, learning to live differently, wearing the face mask whenever we're with other people, getting distance from them, that's socially six feet or so. And uh, one of the other things that is amazing is we have more time, more time to think, reflect, and in fact, much of this sermon came out of that time of reflection, looking at how God is working a drama in this world. And my suspicion is this, not to speak as a prophet, but coming out of this pandemic worldwide, there is going to be an explosion, an exponential growth of the Christian faith. I can tell you this, I did hear that in China, where they're wearing the face masks, it defeats the uh, facial recognition of all their cameras that they have on the people. And so Christians are out with their face masks giving out Christian tracts and doing the work of evangelism more boldly because it's hard to see who they really are. One of the wonderful things is this, that more people are coming to Christ in China every day than the rest of the world put together. And the greatness of China one day is going to be used for the spread of the gospel around the world. In fact, it already is. So what we have done here today in our worship together, looking at this text, is connecting historical movements and how even in the painful and distressful things such as a famine in the Middle East, in the middle 1800s BC, a war in Europe in the 20th century from 1939 to 1945, and a pandemic which we are in the middle of. God is at work in all these circumstances through the pain and distress and struggles that we have to work out a much greater purpose of bringing people into his kingdom under his authority to the cross of Christ where they might be born again. So let's pray together and give thanks. Lord, thank you for Joseph, for gathering the children of Israel in Egypt, for the massive exodus that gave birth to a nation, Israel, for that nation today and the way you are at work in that nation, drawing people to your Son, the Lord Jesus, as Messiah, Jewish, faithful, 
Christian churches springing up throughout Israel. And for us, Lord, with all the benefits of surviving the Second World War and all that you have done through the United States as it ascended to greatness in that post-World War II era. So we bring it all to you, whether the work in Uganda, the work in Pittsburgh through Urban Impact, and the churches of Pittsburgh. Lord, continue to work amongst us and make history as ever your story in our lives. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great pandemic.